0: Mark chapter 8. Now, uh, just following on the heels of last week, we uh, focused on, last week we focused on Mark 8, 22 to 30. And you notice there's a lot of parallels. Because in 22 to 26, who's, what does Jesus do? What's his miracle? He opens the eyes of a blind man. And then you see 27 to 30, Whose eyes does he open? Peter's. He realizes that Jesus is the Christ. That only comes from the Father in Heaven, that confession. Because if you go back to Matthew 16, Jesus says, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father in Heaven revealed that to you. So there's a lot of parallels. The opening, the unveiling of the eyes of the blind man, but also the unveiling of the eyes of Peter. The other thing you might want to know is... In, that, in the eyes of the blind man that Jesus gave sight to, there's two levels. At first, the man didn't see clearly. And then later on, he saw clearly. And likewise with us, with Peter, with us, we see, but sometimes we don't see so clearly. Right? Throughout our whole life, the Holy Spirit needs to make things clear to us through the Word, more and more illumination. And... That's where we come to today, where Peter begins to see, he's not totally seeing who Jesus the Messiah is. He confesses him. He confesses that Christ is the Messiah. Messiah meaning what? Anointed. He's the anointed one. Uh, He's appointed, he's ordained by God the Father to carry out his plan of salvation, but also anointed by the Holy Spirit for that specific task. Peter confesses him, but he doesn't see the whole picture yet. And that's where we come to today, verses 20, what are we doing? 32, 31 actually, 8 verse 31. Let's read that together in our English Bibles. And so Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He spoke this word openly. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan. You're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. And when he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. Of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his son, uh, sorry, of his father with his holy angels. And he said to them, Assuredly I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. So that's our focus today. If you have your script with you, we're on the third paragraph already. I was just giving the introduction before. so. But you notice that uh, Peter has just made this amazing confession. This is to our profession of faith, right? The Lord opens our eyes and by His Spirit and we see and we confess. Uh, this is amazing. This is an amazing middle part of the book. It's the turning point. And from here on in, Christ reveals himself openly as the Messiah. All along, it's more or less hidden, but now this is the turning point. And you can tell you get to Mark 15, then you have a Gentile who openly confesses that he indeed is the Son of God. So it's very much of a turning point in the book right here. But, and yet, Peter confesses, but he doesn't realize the full implications of what he's confessing. That may happen with believers sometimes too. Right? We confess Jesus, You say, whoa, wait a minute. Is this who I confess? Is this what he expects of me? Is this what it means to follow Jesus? And in these verses, we see two things that we read this afternoon. Uh, Jesus begins to explain what he means by this confession, that he's the Christ. First of all, he explains what it means for himself. After all, he's giving himself for our salvation What does it mean for himself? We see that in verses 31, 32, and 33. But what does it also mean for us as his followers? That's what we see in verses 34 through 38, and also 9 verse 1. What does it mean for himself? What does it mean for us? That confession, okay, Jesus the Messiah, really, he reveals the way of the cross. Reveals the way of the cross for himself. Right, He's the humble servant. He leads the way. He opens the way. And his followers follow him. And we go to our first point, 31 to 33. Jesus, the Messiah. He's the Messiah. He first of all reveals the way of the cross for himself. You notice... Peter made a confession, and what's the first thing Jesus does? He teaches. Oh, it's so important that we continue to receive teaching. New believers, older believers, just to receive teaching. Really, really, really important, because we have so much more to learn. We see that here also with Peter. He didn't know everything. He had a long ways to go as well. So he began to teach them. That is his disciples. That the Son of Man must suffer many things. He must be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes. He must be killed, and after three days, rise again. You notice that here in this passage, the only name that Jesus refers to himself as is Son of Man. (laughs) Son of Man, in verse 31 and in verse 38. Son of man, very significant. You can tie it in with, with Daniel 7, 13, 14, the Son of Man who has dominion over all things, has authority, right? He has a dominion over all the nations. But here, Jesus makes reference to himself as the Son of Man, the one in his humiliation, the one who's going to give himself up to suffering, rejection, and death. The Son of Man, truly human, in his humiliation. So low, lowering himself as a servant of servants who's going to give himself over to death, even to death on the cross for us. The first thing we need to notice about this is that it is necessary. <coughs> That's the actual words there. I know it says there must, but the actual words should be, it is necessary. The first things he says, the first things he teaches the disciple, This is necessary for all these things to happen to me. He must suffer. He must be rejected. He must be killed. He must rise again. It's not a choice. Why? Why does Jesus say, he must? I mean, the disciples are probably scratching their head and thinking, why is he saying this? Why does he have to do this? I mean, look at his power. Look at his miracles. He raises the dead. He multiplies the bread. He stills the storm on the sea. He casts out demons. What? You don't have that power, Jesus, to control the circumstances of your own life? What do you mean you must? Are you a victim of circumstances? What's going on here? No, that's not the case. You know what it is? It's an all in the plan of God. God is carrying out his plan in history. The plan that he ordained from all eternity, the one who needs to sacrifice himself for our sins. Man needs a sacrifice for sin. And God promised man from the very beginning of history, after Adam and Eve, our first parents fell into sin, That he would provide the sacrifice to atone for the sins of his people. And God keeps his word. That's why Jesus says, I must. He's showing that his father is faithful to his word. And it's more than just that. Jesus willingly gives himself to that must. It's not that Jesus is saying, I don't want to, but I must. No, He's the one who gives his life for the sheep. John 10. He willingly gives. He willingly lays down his life. So that's what we need to see in the word must. It is necessary. He must. He must be delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. He must suffer. He must be rejected. He must be killed. He must rise again. If you look at verse 32... It says there that Jesus spoke this word plainly or openly. Very important because now that Peter has confessed, Jesus is now beginning to teach all of this openly. That means clearly, boldly, plainly, so that it could not be misunderstood. It's time for his disciples to really get it, to really understand. Yeah, you're following me. You're following the one who's going to be hanging on a cross. That's the one you're following. That's really not the typical idea you have of a leader. (laughs) The one you have, the typical idea of a leader is one who's victorious, who's triumphant, but you're going to be following one who's going to be hanging like a criminal on the cross. This is who I am. This is the Messiah. His time was coming, and now Jesus is preparing them. He's preparing them for what must happen to him. He has to be straightforward with them. Otherwise, they're not going to get it. They're not going to understand. And now Jesus explains it so plainly. And you know, as a son of son of man, he's also son of God. He knows exactly what's going to happen. He's telling them what's going to happen. He outlines his future. He knows who his killers will be. Not the hoodlums on the side of the street. Not the terrorists by the roadside. But respectable Clean, religious people. Yeah, these people, they're the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, they're the ones that are going to kill them. But you know, this is the message of the cross. Really what Jesus is already giving here is the message of the cross. This is the message that must be spoken plainly, clearly, not only then, but today throughout all the world, in the churches, right? In the church, in the world, that Jesus is the Christ who was crucified. That's the heart of the Christian faith. Paul later says in 1 Corinthians 1, we preach Jesus crucified. We preach Christ crucified. You know, for those who are being saved, this is the power of God. Seems so opposite, doesn't it? One who's hanging on the cross, that's the power of the one who saves, Christ crucified. But you know what? Without it, without this message, there is no message. If we don't preach Christ crucified, there is no message, there is no salvation, there is no Christianity. This is the heart of the Christian message. This is what people in our neighborhoods need to hear Christ crucified, Christ condemned on a cross for our sins on the cross. That's what they need to hear. That needs to hear plainly, openly, clearly. And Jesus is already making that clear to his disciples. You know, the cross is the very thing that Satan wants us not to talk about. That's the very thing that Satan wants us to hide from the people. Satan wants us to tell the people how nice they are, how good they are, how moral they are. But he doesn't want us to tell them about the cross, the need for the cross for their sins. He doesn't want us to preach that. He wants us to hide. He wants us to hide that salvation through a suffering Messiah on the cross. And that's what we need. You know, the Christ who freely offers himself, who gives himself on the cross for sinners, to all who believe in him, they shall never perish, but have everlasting life. Satan hates that. He doesn't want that preached. Yes, the Messiah rejected, killed. It's so necessary for our salvation. You notice in verse 32, not only see that it's necessary but you see how Satan who hates this message he tempts Jesus now to avoid the cross. Who does he use? He uses one of his one of Jesus own disciples, Peter. Satan tempts Jesus to keep him from going to the cross because Satan knows the power of the cross that it saves and so he uses one from the inside of the church. He uses Peter. And one who no less has just confessed that he is the Christ. This one. Can you imagine? That very one. Verse 32. Peter, what does he do? He, it's almost like he takes Peter, or he takes Jesus maybe around the waist and pulls him aside to himself puts his hand on his shoulder and then rebukes him. I mean, who's the teacher here? Isn't it Jesus? He was teaching them. (laughs) Right? He teaches. Peter rebukes. Wow. What pride. What pride. So much pride. Peter is so shocked, though, by the message. He doesn't see it all. That's part of the reason. But... He's so offended, deeply offended that this one, the leader, the one who goes to the cross to be hung as a criminal, is that the kind of person I want to follow? You know, this is not the view of the Messiah whom he had just confessed. It didn't fit, it didn't fit his idea of the Messiah. Suffering Messiah? No. And he rebukes, he reproves Jesus. It's the very same kind of word where Jesus, when he rebuked the demons out of the man, is that strong, that powerful? Jesus rebuked, sorry, Peter rebuking Jesus. Wow. What was Peter's image of the Messiah anyway? Well, if you look a little bit later in John 12, 34, the image is very similar to what the people were saying about him. Because they were thinking that Jesus, that, that the Christ remains forever forever. And then they were asking Jesus, how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? It didn't fit with that. It didn't comport with their idea, their image of Jesus. If Jesus is the Messiah, how could he die? In other words, they believed in Messiah. They believed in the Messiah that was only victorious, but not suffering. They only believed in the Messiah who was king, but not Condemned as a criminal. The only believer in a Messiah who is wearing a crown, but not a Messiah put on the cross. What a temptation for Jesus. Here you see one of his own disciples standing in the way of Jesus, obeying the will of his Father in heaven. What a horrible, horrible thing. One who stands in the way it's no wonder that you see in verse 33. What does Jesus call Peter? Satan. Satan. Directly. Clearly. You see that in verse 33. Jesus turned around, looks at his disciples. You can almost see the pain and suffering in his own very eyes. And he in turn then rebukes Peter. The teacher, the master rebukes Peter very powerfully, he says, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God. You're just thinking about the flesh. You're just thinking about what you want. You're not thinking about what God wants for the world and what God wants for you. Strongly rebukes Peter, Get behind me, Satan. His words to Peter are very similar to his words to Satan in the wilderness. Remember back in Matthew chapter 4, verse 10, after the third temptation of Jesus by Satan in the wilderness, what did Jesus say to Satan? Away with you, Satan. Away with you. And now you see those similar words being said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. How dare you stand in my way from the way of obedience to my Heavenly Father, who has ordained us from all eternity, and you, a little man, wanting to stand in the way of the divine authority of one who is called to suffer and die, this must happen. You know, Satan doesn't want this message to get out. That's hell's best-kept secret. Don't tell people about the cross. Don't tell people about the cross. Satan also uses people today to teach, to preach Christ without the cross. You hear that a lot. You hear a lot of preachers, but they won't mention sin. They won't mention the cross. Right? They'll preach miracles. They'll preach health who preach money, they'll preach wealth. But oh no, they don't preach Christ and the cross. They don't want to preach sin because that's offensive. That means I'm bad and that means I need Jesus. They don't preach the need for the cross. They don't preach the need for repentance towards God and forgiveness in Christ. Wow. When you hear those things, turn the TV off. Turn away. Because they are standing in the way of the message of the Christ crucified. So important. That's what needs to be made clear. Christ crucified. The need for repentance, the need to die to ourselves and to rise to new life in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the gospel. Christ crucified. Clear. Simple. Don't complicate it with all kinds of promises of money and cancer-free and... No. We have to throw Satan out. Right? These are messengers of Satan. They want to lead people away from Christ. Get behind me, Satan, Jesus says. He would say that through his word today too. get behind me Satan salvation is all of grace it's freely offered in Christ who hung like a condemned criminal on the cross for our sins and we preach Christ crucified be clear with people be simple if you love them if you love other people then we want to say that message Jesus reveals the way of the cross For himself, here. Notice where it begins. It begins with himself. What a servant of servants. (laughs) A humble servant. But then he says, But there's more to it. Not only for himself, but also for his followers. 34 to 38 and 9, verse 1. Yeah, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? If you go and ask many people today, you probably get many different answers. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. What's that mean, to be a follower of Jesus? And you notice, before we get into what a follower of Jesus is, what the Bible says what a follower of Jesus is, you notice that Jesus now not only speaks to his disciples, who are the leaders, but he also speaks to the crowds. So this is an application for all believers, not just to leaders in the church, but this is an application to all believers, all who claim to be followers of Christ. That raises the question, what is Or who is a follower of Christ? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Verse 34 makes it really clear. Just that verse by itself. 35-38 give all the reasons for it. So we'll look at the reasons for it in a moment. <laughs> but verse 34 makes it very simple and clear. If someone ever asks you, the answer is right here. See verse 34? Jesus says... He says this, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's the definition of a follower of Jesus. Right there, those two things. One who denies himself. In other words, puts Christ first. right, And takes up his cross. Those two things. Denying self, Taking up the cross. That's not an act of our that's not an act of our good work. No, this is an act of faith. This is faith. This is what it means to believe in Jesus. That this is what it means to believe that He really died for my sins. And that He arose again from the dead to give me new life. To deny myself and to follow Him and to take up the cross. Denying self taking up the cross. So what does that mean? Denying self, taking up the cross. What does that mean? I think sometimes children, I know we used to, maybe you children, maybe you play sometimes follow the leader. You ever play follow the leader? Yeah, it's fun. Right? So the leader walks wherever and you have to follow the leader and whatever he does, and wherever he goes, and you just go wherever. But if you don't follow the leader, what happens? Jasmine? God is Jesus. is our real leader. He's our real leader. And that likewise, right, he wants us to follow him. And sometimes a leader, a leader will say when you're following a leader, I'm going to bring you to this place. And it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. And so you have to follow him. But sometimes when you're following him, that leader might take you through a Difficult, difficult trails. And maybe people will look at you a little bit strangely. Right? But he brings you through all of it because he's able to do that and he brings you to the place where you want to be. That's what we mean by a leader. So Jesus is our leader, isn't he? Jesus is our leader. He is the one who leads us. He reveals the way of following Him. And what's the way of following Him? It's the way of the cross. It's so simple, so plain. I'm not saying it's simple to do. It's very hard. We need the Holy Spirit's work. But it's so simply stated here, so plainly, so openly. We can't miss it. It's so clear, the way of the cross. Our culture today has little idea of what the cross is, right? Right? How many ladies wear pretty crosses? Nothing wrong with that. Right? Men wear handsome crosses. That's okay. No problem with that. Sometimes we go through a little bit of a difficulty in life and we're, we say, I'm bearing my cross right now. It may be a hardship. We call it bearing the cross. But now, go back 2,000 years. And you begin to see that this is not the image of the cross in the first century. People carrying crosses were people going to execution. They were going going to a place where they would die. Going to their death. Why? For their belief in Jesus. That's what it is. In other words, a willingness What Jesus calls his disciples is, I gave myself for you. A life that you can never get for yourself. What I want from you? I want your faith. What does that faith mean? I want you in such a way that you're willing to give up everything. Everything. Your money, your family, your homes. Everything. For my sake. And for the gospel's sake. That's the meaning here. To be a follower of Jesus is giving your whole life to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's living a life of faith. In other words, following him, like following a leader, sticking close to him. Right? You know, people may shame you. They may mock you in the workplace because of your belief in Jesus. That should not be strange to us. Jesus says that will happen. It will happen. It will happen here. It is happening here. In Toronto. It will happen. Family members may laugh at you. They mock you because of your commitment to Jesus. You know, if you get hit by a ball in the eye and you get injured, that's not necessarily taking up the cross. If you get hit by a ball and get injured because of your faith in Jesus Christ, that's taking up the cross. That's what Jesus is getting at here. Taking up the cross for his sake, for the gospel's sake. Wow. Obedience. Obeying Jesus, that's the fruit of faith. And that shows in denying self, taking up the cross and that will bring suffering. It will. But we have to look at the long road. We have to look at the picture, the, the full picture what lies at the end. The crown, the crown, the crown that Christ has promised. He will not fail in His promise. But in the meantime, you know, I begin to see so, so, so important that as believers we're in this together. And it's so important that we encourage one another. We we love one another. We stand behind one another. We be open with one another. So so important because that's what it means to share in the fellowship of the sufferings of Christ, Philippians chapter two, knowing that we also share in the joy of His resurrection. Yeah, we not we're not in it alone. We're with Christ and we're with one another in terms of the encouragement to deny self and to take up the cross. This is what it means to follow Jesus. Denying self, taking up the cross. Remember, it doesn't pay for your sins. Who paid for our sins? Jesus did. He paid for all of our sins. But now, in terms of our thankfulness, what do we do? Our hearts overflow with gratitude for the crown he won for us. And we're willing to even give our very lives for the sake of Of who Christ is. Wow, you say that's a tall order, but remember, Christ is also the one who gives us the grace. God is the one who gives us the grace and the Holy Spirit to continue in the way. Otherwise, He wouldn't say it. He says it because He knows He gives us the strength for this. Now, what are the reasons for following Jesus? That's what we see in verses 35 to 38. We'll go through that very quickly. We know what it means to follow Jesus. But maybe somebody here is not totally convinced or really doesn't want to. We understand that. Because our sinful nature doesn't want to give up our family. Doesn't want to give up our homes. Doesn't want to give up everything for the sake of Christ. But what are the reasons for following Jesus? 35 to 38 give four reasons why you should take up the cross and follow him. First, Jesus says in verse 35... Well, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. In other words, you know, it's better to lose your physical life for the sake of Christ and the gospel and gain eternal life. That's way better than denying Jesus and then lose it all. Even eternal life. Wow, that's a horrible thing. May this also convince us, even in the moments of doubt, temptation, hold that before us. Keep the crown before you. Keep Christ before you, because he is the life. Everything else is nothing compared to that. Second thing, Jesus says, the second reason for following him, he says, so how is it going to profit you if you gain the whole world and yet lose your own soul? In other words, an eternity in hell is not worth denying Jesus in order to gain riches and homes in the meantime. Even if you gain the whole world, that's a real poor bargain. That's no bargain at all. We love bargaining, but this is a real poor bargain. It's either with Jesus or the world. Choose. As Joshua would say, choose you this day. Are you with the world? Or are you with Jesus? It can't be both. It's one or the other. To follow Jesus means to deny self. Take up the cross. Third, Jesus what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Here's a third powerful reason. Your soul is so important. There's nothing you can give in exchange for it. There's nothing that equals in value to the salvation of your soul. Nothing. Nothing. And fourth, a fourth reason why you should consider, why you see the importance of following Jesus, having him as your Savior and Lord. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. In other words, if you're ashamed of him now, or if you put others or other things before him now, It'll be far worse on that day, the day of his return, because then he will be ashamed of you. It's not worth it. Jesus is saying, (laughs) it's not worth it. You know, if you notice in verse 38, here you have a second reference to the Son of Man in our passage. The first is in reference to his humiliation, his suffering, his rejection and death. But there's more to the reference to the Son of Man. The reference here refers to his exaltation. The one who is king. The one who's wearing the crown. The one who overcame death and sin and hell and rose again, ascended into heaven, having dominion over the whole world. There's your reference to Daniel 7, verse 13, the Son of Man. Yes, the way of the cross is the way of suffering, but it's also the way of glory. It's the way of victory. That's the only victory there is. Is through the cross. Through the cross. You notice here, finally, in verse 1 of chapter 9, the glory of following Jesus. We talk about the cost of following Jesus, but I want us to see the glory of following Jesus. Remember the illustration? Playing the game of following the leader, and you're following him to that great destination. Well, Jesus is the one who's leading you to glory. Don't disqualify yourself. Deny yourself. Take up the cross. The crown is waiting. The The glorious crown. The crown that which eye has never seen or ear has heard. You know, it's beautiful. This song which you hope to sing, this verse, it says, lead on, O King Eternal. Lead on. In other words, follow him. We follow not with fears, for, glory, for gladness breaks like morning wherever your face appears. The cross is lifted over us. We journey in its light. The crown awaits the conquest. Lead on, O God of might. I hope to sing that in a few minutes. You see 9 verse 1? Beautiful. Jesus is leading us to a better place to all who trust him. Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I see to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. What's Jesus talking about here? He says, Some will taste here, or some, some will be standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God come with power. It's not referring to a second coming. It can't be, because he's talking to those who are standing there. So it simply can't refer to a second coming. What's it refer to? Those who are standing there? They're going to see his power. They're going to see the power of his kingdom and his resurrection, ascension, the pouring of his spirit on the church, and the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Christ crucified. Watch his power unleash. The power of the message go into all the world. That power, that power shows in our repentance and faith in Christ. That's one of the ways that the power of the gospel shows in our repentance and faith. The other way the power shows is that fact that the Holy Spirit, that Christ by His Spirit continues to lead us and keep us in that way. That's His power at work in us. In the meantime, trust and obey, and you will continue to see His power at work in your life by his Spirit, keeping you strong, enabling you to persevere. Because the Bible says, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. That's his promise to us, a crown of life. Praise God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.